He is greater. He is our high priest. He is our great high priest. Come before him with boldness and confidence. Come before him on your knees and watch God rock your world. Amen. Well, it's great to be here with you. It's great to be worshiping. And man, we are all about Jesus Christ. We're celebrating the King of the universe. May he get all the glory. That is the one reason that the church is rallied together. We are called to make much of Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, amen, man. It's a huge deal. And so we're in a series here called Greater. And we're talking about Jesus Christ, the one who is greater. The one who's greater than all creation. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than any human being. He is greater. We're talking about not only is he God Almighty stepped into this world, but he is our high priest. He is the one who steps in on behalf of us. He covers sin. He allows for forgiveness. He brings hope and reconciliation. Our God is an amazing, stunning God of love and power and privilege. May we worship the one who is greater. Everybody just say, he is greater. And that's why we're here, and that's why we're worshiping him, because he is greater. And so we're diving in here to Hebrews, and uh, we're walking through this, learning about how he is greater in the various ways. So turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 4. And we've been walking word by word, phrase by phrase through the book of Hebrews, brings us up to this passage today where we're talking about the hope that we can have in him and the life eternal that we can have in him, the privilege along the way. So how do we respond to that God? Point number one, do not rest on a superficial tasting of God and his work in this world only to fall away. The first point coming out of this passage, do not rest on a superficial tasting of God and his word uh, work in this world only to fall away. May we lean in Jesus Christ with a living faith. Don't just rest on something supernatural and light in the experience. And, uh, you know, as we dive into this passage, this is a very complex passage. There actually are uh, some disagreements that some have about this passage. And so we're going to walk through pretty clearly what the passage is saying, and what it means, all right? That said, I'm going to give you a little bit of kind of setup to make sure that we've got the right thing as we dive into it. So it's super important that we grasp before we dive in, first and foremost, that we see salvation talked about throughout Scripture, and there is a promise of this eternal salvation, a security that lasts when we're saved, that it will be for life eternal. We see passages like John chapter 6, it says, whom the Father draws will come. And note it says will, it doesn't say maybe, like who the Father draws might come. It doesn't say that. Whom the Father draws will come. And it talks about the certainty in it. Jesus saying, and I will not lose them. Like there is this absolute role of God the Father and God the Son in salvation. God's sovereignty along with man's responsibility and those two working together. But we see a guarantee in it. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, you see the statement, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate us. We have this absolute hope in him. Ephesians chapter 1 says that the Holy Spirit is given as a seal, a guarantee of our inheritance. There are so many passages that speak so specifically to the eternal nature and the solidity of salvation. 
So that said, we have to lock on to those scriptures and hold on when we come into some scriptures that have something that is beginning to make us have to think through things. And in this case, we're going to talk through pretty clearly what it's saying and what the differences are, all right? But to be clear, scripture says clearly, salvation lasts for eternity, absolute promise in our King, Holy Spirit given as our seal. And all of God's people said... All right, that said, there are some that will say that this passage, which is talking about somebody falling away, that it's talking about salvation, and that they've fallen away then from Jesus Christ and lost that salvation. The problem is there's actually a verse in this passage that really sets it up as being the exact opposite of that. And verse 9 is where it, where it is. And so uh, while we're going to get to that during the preach, I just want to make sure we jump to it right now. It's really just saying uh, in verse 9, to be clear, I am sure that the things of salvation belong to you. So he's like, verses four through eight, there's this person falling away from Christ somehow, but verse nine, but I am sure of you that there are things of salvation involved. Like the things we were just talking about were about not salvation, but now we're going to be talking about salvation. So the first point is clearly going to be talking to those wrestling, not saved, and then falling away. The second, talking about those who are saved, all right? And that's how we're walking through the passage, just so you understand where we're going when we dive in, all right? That's it. Here we go. Let's jump into it. Starting in verse 4, he says, for it is impossible in the case of those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared of the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come and then fallen away, it is impossible to restore them again to repentance. So we're going to walk through this passage with some clarity here. He starts out, for it is impossible. And that word means um, it's impossible. Like that's what it means. It means what it says, it's not going to happen. This is not possible. It will not happen. He says it is impossible in the case of, now he's going to talk about who. Who is this impossible for? He said it is impossible for those uh, who have been enlightened. And we're going to actually see four different pieces brought up here, four different truths about this person. And just so we're super clear, every one of these is a metaphor. Okay, every one of these four is a metaphor. That means they, the author chose to use kind of an illustration. The author chose to bring up something that'll bring a word picture for you so that you're beginning to see it sort of in an image with colors and that kind of thing. He's bringing a metaphor to bear. And uh, everybody just say metaphor. It's super important that we understand he's not saying a, a direct didactic statement, right? That we've already talked through some of those, like nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So be super careful when you have these absolutely clear passages of scripture, and then you're dealing with a metaphor. Make sure the metaphor does not trump the really clear passage of scripture. Make sure the metaphor sits under the really clear passages of scripture. All right? So as we walk through these four metaphors, we need to make sure they make sense with what's going on in the rest of the clarity of Scripture. So here he says, it is uh, not possible for one who has been enlightened. In fact, that word literally means to have light shined on you. It, it literally means to have a, like a flashlight turned on in a dark room, and some of it hits you. You've had light hit you. It hits the room as well. You can like see the table you would have tripped on in the dark room. 
Like you have a light turned on. There's a little bit of light shining in the space. And uh, it's a huge deal that we understand this to be talking about a external light shined on them. It doesn't mean they hold the flashlight. It doesn't mean the light is coming out of them in some way. It means the light has been shined on them for a moment in time there. And uh, in fact, Jesus talked about the same kind of thing. In John chapter 12, verse 36, Jesus said, while you have the light... And he's talking about himself there. While you have the light, everybody say, that's Jesus. Right, he was talking to these disciples. He said, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Like it's not enough to just be near the one who is the light. It's not enough to just be around the one who is doing things that are stunning. Don't just be near me, believe in me. Become a son of light. Salvation is requiring this leaning in and Jesus calling really clearly being around the light, not enough. Believing and trusting in him and becoming a son of light. And as I was thinking about it this week, I just wrote this phrase down. Ready? We only please God by humbly being under him at work, not by being near him at work. Be really careful with that. We only please God by being under him at work. He's in charge. I humbly worship you. I believe in you. I'm giving you my life by being under him at work, not by being near him at work. And this enlightenment is like a flashlight turned on. It's a nearness to some of what was going on at that time. And and, uh, so he's like, be careful of this one who's falling away. They've just been near the light, near Jesus Christ, near some of that moving in the world. Now, here's the second piece, the second metaphor. Who have tasted the heavenly gift. Who have tasted the heavenly gift. Now, that word taste there literally means to lick, to get a sensation on your tongue from licking. It's a metaphor. Everybody say it's a metaphor. Right, so don't miss this. It's a metaphor. Who have tasted, they've been able to have this sensation on their tongue. It's the beginning of what we do when we eat, right? As you begin to put it in your mouth, you have something going on in your mouth and you're tasting of it. It's the starting point of the eating. There's the chewing as well, the swallowing, the consuming, the full nutrition that comes with. That's called eating. But in fact, tasting is the beginning of it. And there's nothing wrong with tasting. Tasting is a sweet privilege. It's awesome to be able to enjoy some of the richness of food and its flavor. And as he's talking about here, spiritual things, tasting, there's nothing wrong with it. Taste and see that the Lord is good, right? That's a great beginning point to getting fired up with the awesomeness of God to begin to have the amazing sensations and experiences of all that he is. But that's not where it ends. It's lean in, run after, go after the whole of it. Taste is a sweet beginning point. It isn't the ending point. It's calling you to a further trust and a running with him along the way. And he says, they have tasted the heavenly gift. And here talking very specifically about Jesus Christ and the salvation that comes from him. And remember, this is the author of Hebrews is writing to the Jewish people. And so he was writing to a crew that knew the Old Testament. And what they knew of the Old Testament was works. And my works aren't getting it done. And and I need to have something covering me. I need to have this sacrifice. And, And then they started hearing about Jesus Christ and hope in him. 
that Jesus is the lamb of God, the sacrificial lamb, and that he could cover sin and that their works are woefully short, but there is hope in Jesus Christ. And they're like, wait, are you saying that I literally could have it covered, not by this daily ritualistic Old Testament, but by trusting in Christ and, and they're in awe of the answer and the promise and the hope and the privilege. Like, that's amazing. They are tasting. They're beginning to get some semblance of understanding of the value of Jesus Christ. They are tasting of the heavenly gift. And, uh, and it's a huge privilege to be able to get it. It's a lot like being able to be invited to somebody's house for dinner. And you're walking up the sidewalk. And as you're getting there, you get up to the front door. And as the door opens, you can feel the warmth and the heat from inside. And you can see the table is set. You can see the candles flickering. You can hear laughter of people that are there. And they're already enjoying the evening. As you listen a little closer, you can hear the crack and the pop of the fire that's running and bringing a heat to the room. It just looks so warm, it looks so inviting as you're standing on the step. You're right there and you're tasting, you're experiencing the smells of the food are wafting across and you're catching. But you're not yet inside. That's what he's talking about. He's like, be careful. There can be an experiencing that's right on the edge and near, but not under and wholly trusting in. Man, may we be cautious with it. He then says, uh, who have shared in the Holy Spirit. And uh, that word in the ESV, maybe a little, uh, a little bit too off in what it's saying, who have shared. In fact, that word in the original language means basically who are alongside and associating with. This word was actually used of the fishermen. If you look into the gospels, when it talked about fishermen side by side, it talked about them basically being partners or side by side in this kind of, we're associated with each other as we fish. We're hanging around, we're near each other doing the same thing. And uh, notice it's not the word, it doesn't say, who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit who are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Doesn't say these words that we know are super clear about salvation. Who have the Holy Spirit sealing them unto eternal life. It doesn't say that. It uses a metaphor, this metaphor about kind of standing alongside of, associating with or being near while there's things going on. He's like, man, this is talking about being in a church that's on fire and, and seeing the worship lit up and lives being changed and the word being preached and people taking down notes and coming to tears as they recognize things that need to change in their life and this church just on fire for Christ people coming to trust him as savior being baptized in the fire in the room and there's things happening and but the person would be like that was an awesome hour and 15 minutes but I'm distancing now a little and separating away from. It's experiencing in the moment, but not worshiping and running in with your God and hanging with him. It's seeing the fire and the passion and the purpose of the church and, but maybe I'll just go this way. That's what he's talking about. Just be careful of having had the privilege of being around or being at, for example, being at a compassion day and serving alongside of others who love the Lord and love others and they're caring in great ways and there's laughter and there's joy and there's celebration and it's a blast of a time. 
and to be there and to be a part and see the church making an impact in the community and and then maybe that's just it. I'm distancing now a little bit. It's like be careful with making your walk with Christ just a moment of experience and then your distance. Be careful that we lean in with our king and we run after him. He says, and who have tasted the goodness of the word of God. Again, here's this word taste. It's a metaphor. Again, it means and who have licked the word of God. It doesn't actually mean to lick the word of God, right? This is a metaphor. It means to be able to experience the goodness of God's word, the truth of it, to see the reality and the practical of it. To be able to see in some moment a felt need thing, you're like, wow, that really addresses a fear I had. Or wow, I can see God's word giving some hope or some promise here and this is interesting and and it actually brings a moment of, huh, a little bit of calm, a little bit of peace, maybe a little bit of joy as you see or reflect on as God's just pouring his general revelation all over the place and through this word. You're seeing the truth and the power and the promise but you're not putting yourself under and saying, okay, I humble myself to you. You're in charge. And um, I'll put it this way. This may be a verse you want to write down. Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16. Jeremiah 15, verse 16. It says, your words were found and I ate them. Notice here it says, taste of the goodness of the word of God. But Jeremiah is talking about eating it more than just the sensation of the superficial moment of, but it's talking about the chewing and the consuming and it feeds and nourishes the soul and the richness and the wholeness of God's word, not just the moment of an interaction and an experience and then a pull away. Not that. You know, this is a huge deal that we grasp and he actually even says at the end, and tasted of the powers of the age to come. Seeing God stir in a way where lives are changed, where hearts are stirred, seeing healing take place, and God is gonna blow us away in the age to come. I cannot imagine what it's gonna be like as God just all over the place is revealing his power and greatness. And there are moments where we get the privilege of seeing him move in a room, in a place, in a, in a time, in a, in a need, in a hurt. And God does something and he's like, man, maybe you've been around it. Maybe you've seen it. Maybe you've experienced and had it wash right up on your shore. Don't walk away. Make that the thing that invites you in and run with your king with all you've got. Go after him. You know, you've heard me say it this way. Salvation, it's not easy, but it's as simple as A, B, C. A, admit that you're a sinner, like grasp that my works don't get it done. B, believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. And C, confess him as Lord. Putting him in charge, you're in charge, God. And man, it's so easy to admit we're sinners and even believe Jesus is alive. Okay, fine, he's alive, but he's not in charge of me. I will not confess you as Lord. Please hear me. That's not saved. Coming right to the edge of getting it and seeing all that's going on and backing up and going, but I'll be in charge of my own life, thanks. I'm distancing from. Man, we've gotta be super careful that we understand and we worship our king with all we've got. He gives four metaphors of the person 
and he's able to taste and experience. There's some level of being right at the edge, at the precipice of the doorway, being invited in, being able to see some of it and grasp it. And he says, and then have fallen away. This word literally means to abandon, to walk away from like, ah, I'm good. I'm done. This isn't talking about a moment of sin. This isn't talking about a moment of struggle. This isn't talking about, we already know that. First John 1 says, he who says he's without sin is lying. Like it's not talking about struggling with self and sin. It's talking about done with the Jesus thing. I got my own thing. I'm on with that. And however that distancing looks, be careful to be able to have seen and experienced God at work. But distance back away. It says who have pulled themselves away or fallen away, it is impossible for them to restore them again to repentance, to restore them again to recognizing that their works aren't enough. Repentance, setting down the God, please forgive me for my broken works and I'm on with you. They've had a moment of being able to see their brokenness in God's grandeur and they were like, no thanks and they stepped away. And this is a hugely satanic moment to see the greatness of the grandeur of the almighty king in massive glory and display and go, eh, I'm going to make it about me. Be careful. May we cautiously walk and run with our king and may we recognize that every experience and every taste is a sweet, sweet privilege of the God of love of the universe as he's calling you broadly to come join. Are you in? He then says, why would it be impossible since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt? There's a point if you walk from Christ and you're like, I'll make it about me, where you are literally saying, I guess your death wasn't needed to cover my sin, so I guess it was needed to cover yours. You're literally partnering with in battle cry and saying, crucify him then. Crucify him. You're bringing contempt on Christ and you're letting him be crucified. And in fact, it would be saying there's this, you would need to be putting him on the cross yourself in what you're doing. Cautious. Man, this author is not pulling a punch, tasting and experiencing the massive glory and power of God moving his sweet, sweet, sweet privilege. May we lean in and run with him with all we've got. May we not turn the other way. He then gives an illustration. He says, for land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. He's like, imagine there's a farmer and the rain that's coming down, it's just perfect timing and it over a course of time and the ground is just soaking it up and the, the seeds that are out, well, the crops start busting up through. You start seeing corn or beans or whatever it is and they start breaking up and growing larger and larger and you can see over the course of time with sun and rain that this crop just keeps growing to a point where you get like these high sheaves of corn and you can hear the wind just blowing in the sheaves. You can see the brown of the corn or the kind of the browning out of the beans up against the green of the trees at harvest time. And as they pick all of this, it's a great celebration for the farmer as it covers their needs and their costs and actually goes out to covering so many more. He's like, that rain 
is the experiencing of God Almighty. It is the privilege of God working, Him showing His power, His authority, His privilege, His word. It's the revealing of God to so many. And that rain comes down, man, may it just bring a bumper crop. And then He says, but here's the contrast. But if that land bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless. He's like same rain coming down, same experience of God, same tasting of God doing a work in this world and you being able to be near him, not under but near him. And yet now it's not bringing a bumper crop of worship and celebration. Now it's bringing thorns and thistles. Why? You know, I don't think the author was doing this on accident. It's the same words you see in Genesis chapter 3. The cost of sin brought thorns and thistles and toil to this land. It's the presence of sin and selfishness. And while the experiencing of God can bring worship and bumper crop, the experiencing of God can also just bring selfishness and sin and thorns and thistles. And it's the same God and the same experience washing down on. And he's like, please be careful that you grasp what's going on. He says, but if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless. It's missing what's supposed to be happening. It says, and near to being cursed. Everybody just say near. Near to being cursed. Like watch out. You are getting on the edge as you begin to consider walking away. Near to missing out where you had the invite. You saw the greatness of God. You saw him working in a church on fire. You saw the word moving. You heard the Holy Spirit affecting and impacting lives around you. You were there. And then you're distancing away and saying, maybe not about Jesus. He's like, be careful. In the end, he says... It is near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. God the Father is the gardener and know this. God the Father will get his glory. God the Father doesn't toy with it. And in the midst of this whole metaphor coming out, he's like, just so we're super clear, those thistles of selfishness need to be burned and gone. Like, this is a huge, huge deal that we grasp the privilege and the honor that we have of knowing Jesus Christ and of coming near him and being blown away by him. And, uh, you know, as we talk about tasting and experiencing our God, let's just think of it this way. Imagine you went to Six Flags or Disney, and as you're out at Six Flags or Disney, you're standing in line for one of the roller coasters. And as you're getting up a little closer, this is one of those big ones. It's one of the big bad roller coasters. And as it comes around beside, it starts to go up the chain link. You know how that chain kind of pulls it up and you hear it like, and you're seeing the people in there like, oh, here we go, man. And they're getting all excited and you're seeing them excited and you're hearing it go up and up and up. And as you're seeing it go up, you're like, man, I can't imagine your stomach even starts to feel it a little bit as you're getting all pumped up about this thing. And as it gets to the top, it just starts to come over and you're like, I can't even imagine. And as it takes off, you hear everybody like screaming and hands in the air and they're fired up and it gets to the bottom and it takes this big upside down twist and you almost feel it yourself as it whips around. The track comes up over the line where you're at and as it whips past, you feel the wind just blow your hair by and it just blows past you. You're like, this is gonna be amazing. And you get up to the front of the line and you're right there and you go, I'm going to go get some popcorn. 
He's like, don't be that believer. And as you've seen the living God, as you've felt him move, as you've gotten fired up about what could happen, it is time to put yourself under to get on the ride, to ride with Jesus Christ, the king of the universe. He is greater. Do not step back. Do not step away. May God get all the glory. You know, there are some who look at this passage and they'll say, this is someone losing their salvation. And we're going to be really clear about that in just a moment. We've talked about it already. There are passages that just say no to that. And we're going to see in verse 9, it addresses it again. This isn't about losing salvation. And just so we're clear, when it says it's impossible to come to him, this isn't about somebody going, I want to come back. And God's like, no, it's not that. This is a person who's walked away, they've tasted of, and as they've gotten away, they're like, I'm done with it. And I don't want to come. And men, just so you know, we never know when God has said it's enough. That's up to God. He's in charge. And we will always be calling and rallying us to come run to him and worship him. But please hear me. Don't toy around with experiencing the living God. And then going and getting some popcorn. May we be careful with our walk and on fire with our worship. May Christ get all the glory. Are you in? And are you in with Jesus Christ? Are you ready to lean in and run after him? Not just a visit to the church and experience that's really awesome moment and then distance away and don't care about him at all and I'm done with life with him and then hope that it comes back later. Be careful, man. May we lean in with Jesus and may we run hard with him all week long. May God get the glory. And all of God's people said, Amen, man. Point number two. Live passionately, run eagerly, believe sincerely, all for Jesus. Live passionately, run eagerly, believe sincerely, all for Jesus. Man, may the experience you have in Christ call you forward to a passionate running with him. He then says, though we speak in this way, He's like, I know I just said verses four through eight, and I know I just talked about somebody who has experienced and fell away. Though there is somebody who has not saved and they got right to the doorstep and then turned around and walked away. Though I speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Are you hearing it? He's like, I know what I just talked about, and that's not about salvation. That's about the one not saved. But I'm talking to you now and about you saved. And I'm fired up about it. He says, I feel sure. Just so you know, that's a little bit of a weird way to talk about salvation. And why is he doing that? Why does he say that phrase? I feel sure of this. Because he's talking about the externals. The next thing he's going to say is, let me talk about those things that are going on in your life that I'm seeing. And he's like, you have to make sure that you're right with your God inside. But I'm seeing some things externally. In your case, beloved, I'm fired up about this salvation belonging to you. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and your love. Like, here's the deal, man. We are not saved by our works. Everybody say, not by works. 
But if we love the Lord our God and we're filled up with a love with him, it will spill over into a love of those around us. In fact, 1 John 4 says that if you don't love your neighbor, the love of the Father is not in you. Like he's saying, I'm just telling you, I'm seeing this love pouring out and I'm seeing it as a love filling up, God just welling up inside of you and spilling out and you are humbly caring and taking care of the needs of those around you. I'm seeing a love and work and a passion and serving the saints. It's an awesome moment of humble love of your God is turning to you a humble love of the church. And there are some who see these words like love and works and serve, and they're like, all right, I'll just go do that. Like, I'm not going to worship Christ, but I'm going to actually work even inside the church walls. I'm going to serve in various roles, and I'm going to make it look like I'm caring for people. But deep inside, it's not being welled up by, I love the Lord my God, and he's called me to love his bride, the church, and I'm fired up for what he's doing. Instead, it's being welled up by, I hope people see how good I am. I hope God sees how good I am. And be careful. It isn't about trying to just do some caring outward actions. It is about letting the love of God well up in and spill over. It is about tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. It is about running with him with all you've got. Are you in with Jesus Christ? He said, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness like long for it, hold on to it, hunger for it, be passionate for that and continue with it to have the full assurance of hope to the end, to have the full assurance of hope to the end. Now, the reality is when you go through a passage like this, you might actually be like, I'm not sure where I'm at with salvation. And I just want you to know this. The assurance of salvation comes in two parts with our God. First, it's trusting the word of God that I need to admit and believe and confess. I'm following what you say. And I'm telling you, assurance starts welling up in your soul as you follow through and do what God calls you to do. As you love those around you, as you care for those around you, as you humbly serve your king, as you get in line with your God and follow through in your worship, your assurance just starts welling up. And as you walk away and experience a sin moment, your assurance starts waning down. Just so you know, he's like, come worship your God. Come celebrate your king. Come partner with your God as you love those around you and love the Lord your God. And watch your assurances skyrocket in Jesus Christ. May he get all the glory. He says, so that you may not be sluggish. May we not just be laying around. And man, this past year and a half has taught us in so many ways, just kick back. Maybe just hold up. Man, be careful. May we not be sluggish in our walk. May we be passionate and hungry. May we go after our king with all we have. He says, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. They anchor in faith and they're going after it faithfully and regularly worshiping their God. Follow them. Man, as you look around in the church, in your family, in your friendship groups, look to those who are fired up about Jesus Christ. 
Look to those who are fired up about his word, who are leaning in, who can say these words. Here's how God's changing me. Man, please hear me. There will be no greater assurance in your life than when you get to declare, I've given my life to him and here's how he's changing me. Be hungry for it. Not just a taste of experience in the moment. Be hungry for God to change you and shape you that you might give him all the glory. He gets the glory. And all of God's people said, that can be so subtle and it is so massive. May we hunger for God to be rocking us and changing us along the way. He says there is a promise that will be fulfilled in the end and that is eternal life. You can count on it. May God get all the glory. You can hunger for it. May God get all the glory. You can be certain of it. May God get all the glory. Please hear me on this. The first words that Satan will want to speak are words of shame. Push down, push away. That is the exact opposite direction to go. And the first words that the Holy Spirit speaks are inviting, come. Come on in. The table's set. The room is warm. The roller coaster ride is ready. Let's do this thing together. Come. Are you ready to worship Jesus Christ? May we give it all to him. And all of God's people said, amen, man. Let's pray.